Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Let's bring up Barb, and I will bring the podium. And I don't have any intro to say other than if... um, I'm going to get emotional. I'm going to hand you the mic, okay? Okay. I've got my own. (laughs) Dushka, thank you. Um, What many of you may not know is that Dushka has been a part of our community since about 2018, right? Didn't you come, like, before, before COVID? And then she has faithfully been a part through COVID and then returned to us. And she's always had a desire to dance for Jesus because uh, that's a gift that she's been given by a gracious God who loves each of us like crazy. You were beautiful, Dushka. And I was so impressed by the way that even when the music did not want to assist you, you danced anyway. Like, is that not a word? That was so beautiful. And just, um, the, you know what she said, you know what, God, you're bigger than this song, you're bigger than that whatever player that's not working right now, I'm dancing, so there. And also, I really, I want your dress. And speaking of clothing, you know I have to mention mine, right? The minute I said I was retiring, suddenly I'm back in a onesie. <laughs> and... For those of you who are watching on YouTube or on Facebook, you will never know if my onesie has snaps. (laughs) Just wanted to kind of start out with that. Also, you guys, the patio was packed on Friday night. Um, And so, Mary, Mary Trine, you were amazing. You rocked the house. The patio was packed, and so were our cheeks, because there was so much food. It was, like, brilliantly executed. Overfeed me, and I'm going to be a happy girl. Um, But actually, it was so wonderful, and we had so many people here that I'm going to be retiring every year from now on (laughs) until I die. And then you guys can have a funeral. (laughs) So (laughs) I just had to get all that out, you know. That was living within me as I was sitting in my seat over there. Um, So, teaching team, of which I am a part, has something that we've been doing called Chef's Choice, which is kind of like we choose. We choose what it is that we want to talk about. So that's what I'm bringing you today. I'm bringing you this Chef's Choice. And it's difficult because I have many, many stories in the Bible, many passages in Scripture that I love with all my heart. But um, this is the one I couldn't get away from. And what's really interesting about it is that last week in our prayer time, we, some of you may know, some of you may not, that every Sunday morning at 8.30, we gather in our hallway, those of us who are serving that morning, and we pray. We pray for the gathering, for the community, for one another just for whatever comes up. And the word that came up last week was the word wrestle. And then uh, Alvia, when he taught brilliantly, 
uh, last week, he also used that language that we need to wrestle. And that is what I'm going to be talking about today because I had already at that point chosen uh, scripture, Genesis 32. It's the story of Jacob wrestling with who? Who's he wrestling with? Maybe. <laughs> I guess we'll just have to listen to me and find out. Who is this man wrestling with? Um, I'm going to begin by reading the scripture, and I chose the voice version. No surprise. And it begins kind of in the middle of Jacob's story, but we're going to go back, and I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a rundown of who he was after we read scripture. So you can follow along on the screen. Um, yeah. Later that same night, Jacob got up and took his two wives. How rude. No, no. His two female servants and his 11 children. Okay, two wives make sense now. And he crossed the Jabbok River. He sent them all ahead across the stream along with everything he had. But Jacob stayed behind, left alone in his distress and doubt. In the twilight of his anguish, an unknown man, bless you. That's my friend Don Salucci because I would recognize that sneeze anywhere. <laughs> okay, I gotta go back to the onesie. <laughs> no, um, in, in his anguish, he heard you sneeze. <laughs> okay, Jacob stayed behind, left alone in his distress and doubt in the twilight of his anguish, and an unknown man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw he was not winning the battle with Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was thrown out of joint as he continued to wrestle with him. The man said, let me go. The dawn is breaking. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asks this question, what's your name? And Jacob says, Jacob. The man says, you will no longer go by the name Jacob. From now on, your name will be Israel because you have wrestled with God and humanity. You have wrestled with God and humanity, and you have prevailed. Jacob now asks, please tell me your name. And the man says, why do you ask what my name is? And right then and there, the man blessed Jacob so Jacob called the place Peniel because, as he said, I have come face to face with God, and yet my life was spared. The sun began to rise as Jacob passed by Peniel, limping because of his dislocated hip. And to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached near the hip socket of any animal, since that is where God struck Jacob when he dislocated his hip. That's the end of the scripture that we're going to read together. But now let's talk about Jacob a little bit. This is kind of Jacob in a nutshell. Abraham was his grandfather. He pulled his brother Esau's heel during birth. They were twins. He stole his brother's birthright from his father, Isaac, by lying about what his name was later on in life. Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob was a liar. He was a coward. There was nothing upstanding about him except he loved his mother, Rebecca, very, very much. 
when he was an older man, he left home to go to an uncle's, uh, I don't know, farm, probably, property. Uh, named His uncle's name was Laban. And while he was almost at Laban's house, he saw a woman, and he fell in love with her. And her name was Rachel. And it turned out that she was one of Laban's daughters. And he immediately purposed to marry her. Only he was tricked by his uncle. And the night that he was supposed to marry Rachel, he ended up marrying her sister Leah instead. That is a whole other teaching. <laughs> and that's such a sad, sad story. And immediately I have such compassion on Leah and how hard that must have been. How would she have felt? But that's not a, the part of the story that I'm bringing today. He ends up having to work another 14 years to finally be able to marry Rachel. But during the time that he's working, he gets really rich. He makes deals with his uncle. He uh, actually gets the spotted cows, and it turns out that there's more of them. There's lots to the story. It's a great read if you want to read this in Genesis. It's an amazing story. Um, so now he finds himself with two wives, 11 children, servants, a lot of livestock, a lot of stuff. He's got a lot of stuff. And he wants to go home. Sounds like he's a blessed man, doesn't it? I mean, he's got all the things that the world could possibly ask. I'm sure he tells everyone how blessed he is. But he doesn't really, at this point, tell anyone the truth because he's a liar. We've already established that. He already established that. And it was actually already established for him. He lied. He does not tell the truth to others or even to himself. One of the things that I've been learning the past five years or so is that um, we make things more real when we name them with truth. Sometimes we don't have all the truth. We have to then name what is most true for us to the best of our ability. Naming what is true is hard, and it is so much easier to live in our half-truths. Like I did my first 60 or so years, you guys, um, a lot of half-truths. But a very beloved friend of mine uh, invited me to attend a five-day retreat in the wilds of the Washington Cascades uh, on a beautiful fjord, kind of, in Washington. And uh, that five-day retreat was called Recovery Week. And in those five days, I did recover. I, I recovered my feelings. Um, and I began to be much more truthful about myself than I had ever been before. And it really hurt. I don't think there was a day in those five days that I didn't cry. Because truth hurts. <laughs> and hurt creates pain, and pain hurts, right? All those things. It did not feel good. It also um, brought some real destabilization into many parts of my life, into my marriage and my family, all of my relationships. It destabilized my ministry life in that season. And it was also the biggest blessing I could have ever 
I would have never, on my own, put it together. But it was also just the biggest blessing of my life. So let's go back to Jacob. He's ready to return home. His mother, Rebecca, has uh, sent him a message that Esau, the brother from whom he stole the birthright, wants to kill him. Jacob is already on the road. He's already on the way home, and he's afraid, as he should be. He does all the things. Uh, he separates his men and his cattle. He wants them to go in different directions so that maybe he can not, you know, he can save some of them. He only wants to lose half of all the stuff he has. He sends a gift to Esau trying to make peace. But finally he finds himself on the side of a river and he sends his wives, his servants and his daughters and sons on ahead and finds himself alone. He finds himself alone in the night. He's no longer just afraid. He's alone and he's terrified. He's desperate. Like me. Like you. My first son was born when I was a very young woman. I had not quite turned 21 when Rick was born. And um, after he was born, life was just really, really scary for lots of reasons that I can't go into because Ryan will take that big, long hook and pull me off. But um, I began having a recurring dream in that season of my life and just a ton of anxiety, ton of panic attacks. They were, they were rolling through me over and over and over again. And this dream was that... People had come into my home that were threatening to kill me. And I couldn't get up to get to the baby, Rick, my son. But I finally could. This is the dream. And when I got to him, I grabbed him, and we ran and we hid underneath the table. But then the men that came into the house, I don't know who they were. I have no faces that I can recollect. Uh, they came and they found me with my son under the table. And they told me that if I wanted to live, I had to give them my child. And every time, every night, I gave him. And that is a part of the badness that lives inside of me. That's the part of my Jacob's story. I actually am going to ask you guys to put up that uh, picture that I that I have, that I think is on the PowerPoint. No? You didn't put it on? Oh, Ryan, Ryan was busy this weekend <laughs> with me. <laughs> That's okay. The, I chose a specific picture about Jacob wrestling with whomever, and there's a reason for that. It's because we're all going to sit there and say, this isn't my story. I'm not Jacob. I'm not a man. But I want you to see that Jacob is the father of Israel. We are all the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Jacob is just as much a woman because it's the, the story is important for each and every one of us. We need to own that we are Jacob, at least in part. 
Maybe not all the way, but we need to own our Jacobness. So anyway, I'd asked Ryan to throw this picture in, and he was busy throwing a party for some old lady. So what can I say? Every morning, I gave my baby away to people that I knew were bad. I'm going to read a quote here from Rabbi Shmuel Klitzner from Lendenbaum College in Jerusalem. And he says this, Things still keep us up at night and into the dawn. The things that you're wrestling with, you've relegated to darkness. You can wrestle with things in the dark, but when the rise of dawn comes, that enlightenment is the most threatening part of this. Our ways of prevaricating, of lying to ourselves or deceiving others, do not withstand the light of day. Jacob never told the truth, neither did I. Not many people know about that dream. I don't think I've ever shared it in this place, and I've shared lots of things with all of you through the years. But there's a shame attached to that dream that a mother would give up her child to save herself when a good mother is supposed to die for the sake of her child. So bad. Bad is always the word that lives in me. And I think it was the word that lives in all of the Jacobs. Thank you so much, Ryan, for doing that. So this was painted in uh, 1903. And I really love this because the Jacob in the middle in his, her purple robe and yellow orange um, could, could be a woman, is definitely androgynous. And uh, who is he, she wrestling with? For Jacob, Alone and in the dark, the wrestling begins. He seemingly doesn't know with whom or with what he is wrestling. All he knows is that he can't stop. He needs to persevere, and he asks to be blessed. He tells this thing that he later identifies as having been face-to-face with God, that he will not quit until he receives this blessing. What second blessing is Jacob seeking. He already has the blessings. He has all the blessings. And in the story, he might not be able to win against his opponent, but he can hold on. Or maybe he can be held. Can he refuse to give up until he's blessed? Or will whatever he's wrestling with Refuse to give up on him until he receives and accepts the blessing. Even in his moment of victory, he's left limping, as we are. Five years ago, I mean, I limp because I do have a hip issue, and I don't think God did it. I know the surgeon's name. But but my insides, they limp too. There's a part of me that's always limping. And, yeah. 
And I, and I just want you to consider that for yourselves, for your own story. We are still wounded. The limping continues. His struggle is the human struggle. He needed his identity, his identity. Who am I? That's another question we all ask at some time, and I think I'd say many times. He needed his identity to evolve the same way that I need mine to evolve. I'm still evolving over time and through the struggle, the wrestle, the wrestlings of life. Now the one he is wrestling with asks him what his name is. And yes, I did ask for that old song to be played, <laughs> which, which is one of my very, very favorite. And there was a season of my life when God was wrestling with me so hard or holding me so tight that that song could only make me cry because I didn't want to be called outcast. I didn't want to be called wounded. I didn't want to be called afraid. This is the thing that Jacob does in this place that is really, really important because when who or what he is wrestling with asks him, what is your name, he tells the truth. This is the liar who told his father that he was his brother. This is the Jacob who always told someone, I'm from the family of Isaac and Abraham. He never told the truth about his name. But here he is telling the truth, and this is a reversal. Truth reverses lies that we tell. It reversed the lie he told his father Isaac. And for maybe the first time in Jacob's life, he names what's true. My name is Jacob. I'm a heel. I'm a usurper. How many names do you have? How many names have you had? What names have you called yourself in your brain all the time? What names do you still call yourself? Aren't we always naming ourselves in one way or another? And aren't we always telling other people lies about who we are? Interesting, biblically, names are very, very important to God. My name, Barbara, means foreigner. It means barbarian. It means stranger. I always hated the name. And also, everybody my age is named Barbara, which is another just really wrong uh, thing. But I hated the name because I felt like a foreigner and a stranger. I'm an immigrant, so it just fits so well that, of course, that's what my name would mean. Um, but I have a middle name that I hated also because it was my mother's name. And this is a story I've told you before, but you're hearing it again. What can I say? Maybe you forgot, and this will actually be your pretend first time. So I have a tattoo. And the tattoo says Hildegard, and it is my middle name, and it is my mother's first name, and it is written in the handwriting of my grandmother, who gave that name to both my mother and me. And Hildegard, while not lovely all by itself, <laughs> means strong tower in time of war, battle maiden. So that is a name that I choose to own. I can't own it all the time 
because I'm wrestling constantly with the bad names. But I can own it sometimes. And I definitely own it more today than I did yesterday or last year. And I'm going to own it more in six months, so watch out, LBCF. <sighs> Accepting the new name creates destiny. For my family, for my community, for my church, the new name reflects Jacob's struggle and hope, and mine as well. Um, and I've spoken about this before, but in Jewish Torah study, there's something called Midrash. And think about that when you read the Bible. So I'm going to quote Wilda Gaffney now from her, uh, anyway, her womanist theology book. Midrash and rabbinic readings discern the value in texts, words, and letters as potential revelatory spaces, she writes. She goes on to say, they reimagine dominant narratival readings while crafting new ones to stand alongside, not replace, former readings. Think commentaries in a crazy sort of way. But also, Midrash asks questions of the text. Sometimes it provides answers, but sometimes it leaves the reader to answer the questions. And to the best of our ability, we then go on to tell our truth about that text. We're called to wrestle with the word of God also. We're called to wrestle with the Bible. It is not one and done. It is alive and breathing and sharp. And while we wrestle with the Bible, our faith is not in the Bible. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. And as the church today, we have inherited, for better or for worse, the role of being a peculiar people, and we are peculiar people in a weird little church, thank you, Brian Douglas, for calling us that, called out from the world to wrestle with God. And then Henry Nouwen says, the hope is that Jacob, having wrestled with God, leaves the river Jabok, which is the one he crossed, as a wounded healer, not as a wounded wounder. Think about that. You know, they say that hurt people hurt people. What if wounded people are called to heal? What if Jacob's blessing is to heal others from their woundedness? I've said it before. Blessing is not the stuff, the trappings of worldly success, of great wealth, of perfect children or perfect marriages, of perfect relationships, of perfect churches. That is not the stuff of blessing. In the eyes of God, blessing looks like great love. It looks like a healing path that is always off-road, which means we fall down and cut ourselves in the process, but that's okay because then we bandage one another. It looks like justice. It looks like reconciliation, and it looks like reunion. It looks like shalom, the kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. I have spent my whole life wrestling with my life, my past, my faith, with God, with others. I'm always wrestling because I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. 
I want to be delighted in. I want to be seen. And I'm going to assert that we're all a lot like that. What are you wrestling with today? You came in wrestling with something. Something was on your mind. What are you wrestling with? And again, what if God's wrestling is really more like an embrace? What if his wrestling with us is actually his crazy, wild, unconditional love for each and every one of us? And maybe that's what we actually wrestle against because it's too painful to be loved as much as we long to be. The act of wrestling, it's both intimacy and struggle. And in this story, it yields a blessing. And in our story, it yields a blessing. There's a theme of identity that is connected to our name. And then, of course, there's that new name given to Jacob by God and our new name. And then I wrote down, like the bumper sticker says, blessing always hurts. Hurts causes pain. And the bumper sticker says pain happens. Not really, but you know what I mean. So I resist being loved. I tell my husband so many times, I really want to believe that you love me, but somehow I just can't seem to do that because it's too scary. I don't trust it, even though I long for it. My life, my family of origin story, my immigrant story, my sexual abuse, my own promiscuity, Broken marriages and relationships all taught me that I am a bad girl. And bad girls that want love, even though they resist it and don't trust it, they turn into imposters. Like Jacob, we, we learn to look good on the outside so that we can have stuff, you know, good stuff, to kind of know that we're blessed, to kind of believe that we're blessed, and yet also like Jacob, we still know who we are until, until, if, when we allow God to wrestle us with his love, to embrace us, to hug us so tightly that we finally can go limp in his arms, knowing if just for one second at a time that he will never let us go. For me, openness has been a great hiding place. I learned way before five years ago to be pretty transparent, to tell my story. And you know what that does? It makes people think you're so open. Oh, that's so great. I was. I did tell the story. The story was true. But I was never vulnerable because I couldn't feel the pain of it. And so you only got the story, but you never really got Barb. Because if you really got Barb, then you might not love me. And if you really got Jacob, you might not love him. And we're all Jacob. Can I, can you stand the wound, the limp, the pain, the scars left by being vulnerable? And as a people, as a church community, can we be encouraged by this text 
this story about Jacob to wrestle, to allow God to wrestle with us, to embrace us, to love us, to grapple with our differences, our different histories, and all the ways that we've failed. Can we wrestle with injustice, contend with forces that keep us from being all that God calls us to be? That might be the legacy. That might be the legacy. That might be the blessing. I am 100% convinced that the church, this church, needs more of us to wrestle publicly, to actively wrestle publicly, because all three of those words are important. To actively means not passively or with indifference, but working through always moving in a direction. Wrestle, meaning that it isn't clean, it isn't pretty, it isn't polished, and we already know going in that this is going to hurt. And it's not going to be without wild and crazy love. And public means that it isn't hidden, and that we don't care about what other people think about us. God is not interested in our reputation He is only interested in how well we love. There is a space for wrestling in the dark, but there's also a need for a public witness, not only to what God has done, but what he is doing and what he has not done yet in LBCF and beyond. And in each and every one of us as individuals, too, and all three of those are scary, scary places to inhabit, as they have been for me, but I am coming out. My snaps are going to pop any second, and my thighs will be revealed for the first... No, that was not going to happen, just so none of you have to turn your eyes away. Um, I always make jokes when I'm very close to something that is very true. What is very true is that I am coming out And when I am no longer on staff, I'm going to be the one who writes those emails that the pastors have to respond to. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. Okay. Wrestling actively invites pain. Resting wrestling publicly invites critique and to receive critique while also in pain can be very bewildering but if we are willing to come to Penuel face to face with God we might find that in that place we are also coming face to face with ourselves willing and able to be honest with ourselves with others and with God Jacob's wrestling was an honest one. God wants that from us. And he wants us to walk with a limp forever, transformed. So part of what we do here at Long Beach Christian Fellowship is we have communion together every week. And communion is that place where we get to uh, consider our wrestlings And I want to invite the band to come back up and also the elders that are going to be serving communion to come forward. And 
Um, so what we do here is we offer you parsley and you get to dip it in salt water and then you get to taste that bitterness, the saltiness of that parsley. And someone gets to say to you the bitterness of your sin, the bitterness of sin and death. And we, we get to taste those parts of us that don't tell the truth. <laughs> the, the parts of us that are so Jacob-like until we, until we allow God to embrace us. And then we go from there and we go to the table where everything is new again. And at the table we are loved, we are received, we are welcomed. There is joy in our coming to the table. Jesus rejoices. Jesus dances in the beautiful way that Dushka danced for us earlier when we come to the table and then we receive the sacrifice of his body and blood broken and shed for us so that we can go and limp in the blessing of the newness that he always brings. Thank you so much for letting me share. <laughs>